Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. So proud of you. So thankful for you. Uh, special greeting to our regional campuses as well, Northridge, Brighton, Hayes. So glad you're gathering with us right now. And, and welcome to the very last time we'll see Jimster and Jimbo and all that as we open the letter of James for the last time. I'm so thankful that you've been a part of it. If, you, if you've missed any of this series, which at least for me has been so profoundly impacting, we, we put all of our talks online. I hope that you'd catch up on that because it really does have the power to dramatically change each of us as the truth always does. I tell you that while reading recently, I was, I was confronted by a question that has just grabbed me. It's just captured my attention recently. A, a, a poet named Mary Oliver asked this question. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What a great question. And I have to tell you, I don't want to answer something like, well, not much, you know, nothing. But even worse than that, because most of us wouldn't give that answer, but I, I, I thought about the way I lived my life the last week, and I had to ask myself, is this how I want to spend my one wild and precious life? And to be honest with you, I think, unless we're thinking about it, we will just waste time. And I don't want to do that. I, I want my life to count. I, I want this one shot I get, it, get at it to, to make a profound difference. And I know you do as well. But, but here's then the thing that I started thinking about. It's, that question's not just relevant to us as individuals. That question's relevant to the life of our church. You realize that, right? God has given us as a church family this, this one wild and precious opportunity right now. And I have to tell you, I, I, I've been seeking very passionately God about what he would have for us as we move into the future. I've been working very hard as the senior leader here. God's given me a position of influence with, I've been working with the team at laying out plans for, for the future of this church, for the future of what he wants to do here because it's his church and for your future, those of you who are part of this family. And I have to tell you, the last thing in the world, I'd, and I know you'd join me in this, we'd ever want to do is waste this, this thing that God is doing here, this this great privilege and opportunity. And so I, I thought I'd share, since it's so relevant to the last words of Jim in his letter, what, what I think about when I, I think about the future of this church family, what, I, what I'm planning for, what I'm praying for, and what I want you to join me in community to accomplish. I, I want this to be a place that God continues to use in profound and impacting ways, don't you? I want God to use Northridge. This is his church. I want him to fulfill his promises here, and I want him to make a difference here, but I, I thought I'd get more specific because I think clarity is important. I, I, I pray that God would continue to use Northridge to change lives. I mean, it doesn't get any more important than that. To change our lives, to change our kids' lives, to change our kids' kids' lives. I, I, I'm, I'm just praying that God would continue to use Northridge to change the lives of all those that we love and live near and work with. But, but I want it to be more than that, don't, don't you? I want it 
I want God to continue to use Northridge to change the lives of people we don't even know. In fact, people who aren't even born yet. I, I want him to change lives. That's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth. I, as I look to the future of Northridge, I, I, I just really want this to be the kind of church that God uses to do something that I believe the world needs desperately right now. I, I want him to use Northridge to continue to change leaders. And if there's anything our world needs right now, it's better leaders. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? We need better leaders. We need better leaders in our spiritual places, but we need better leaders in the marketplace, in, in education, in, in cultural enterprises. We need, and I, I think this just needs to be said, we need better political leaders. That'd be awesome. That'd be life-changing. And it's the church of Jesus Christ that can ultimately be used by God to transform leaders from using their influence and their position and their opportunities to serve themselves and to lift themselves up and instead to use their positions to serve God and others. And wouldn't it be great if God used us to change leaders? As I look to the future and and understand what God could possibly do with this wild and precious opportunity he's given with a, for us as a church family. I, 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 just, I just want God to keep using us to change other churches. We, you know, we, we don't just love Northridge Church. We love the church of Jesus Christ. We want any place that names the name of Jesus to be successfully impacting the world with Jesus' light and Jesus' truth. And God's given us the privilege to to literally help move churches to being more impacting, and I want God to keep using Northridge that way. I, I want to see in the future God continue to use Northridge to, as, as he uses us to change lives and change leaders and change churches to then do the ultimate to change the world. I mean, I, I really believe that the church of Jesus Christ called Northridge can be used of God to to change the culture of communities here at home in Detroit metropolitan area, but all around the world to help reshape environments that, that the world provides for its citizens economically and morally and educationally and medically and relationally and spiritually. And, and you know, God's used us a little bit in the past for this. I mean, we've seen it happen in a, many of our projects here in Detroit. We've seen it happen around the world, even in Zambia. But but as, long, as much as I long for God to continue using us to change lives and change leaders and change churches and change the world, you just need to know that it's not a gimme. It doesn't just happen because we want it to happen. It doesn't just happen because it's our dream. We want to be a part of it. Just because God's used us as a church to do great things in the past doesn't mean he's going to keep using us to do great things and change the world in the future. And that's a scary thing for me. It's caused me to do a ton of, of thinking about this idea. I, I don't want to waste this one and wild, precious opportunity God's given us. I, I don't want to waste the, the privilege he's given me to be a part of a community like this and to have influence and leadership here. And I don't want you to waste your opportunity. And so this weekend, what I thought I'd do, since it's so relevant to the last words of Jim in his letter, I just want to share with you two thoughts that are stirring in me. And I share them in hopes that, that they might begin stirring in you. 
I'm sharing them because I, I, I'm in hopes that they'll start driving you these two thoughts and start driving your conversations and choices and your prayer and your activities just as they have been mine lately. And here's the first thought. The only way real and worthwhile change can happen in people's lives or this world is, is by advancing the hope of Jesus. It's the only way we can bring about change that's eternal and significant in this world, by advancing the hope of Jesus. I need to say it right out loud because so many people put their hope in so many things that have no hope at all. You need to get this. Jesus is the only hope of the world. He's the only hope. And if there's going to be any hope in politics, Jesus somehow has to transform the heart of those people in politics. If there's going to be any hope in education, Jesus has to transform the heart of those people involved in education. If there's going to be any hope in religion, Jesus is going to have to change the hearts of those involved in religion because Jesus is the hope of the world. If, if our dream for being used of God to change lives and leaders and churches in the world is going to be fulfilled, it's only going to happen as we advance the hope of Jesus, which is why we're so committed to the 16 words here. We need to wake the world up to Jesus. I mean, we need to wake them up to Jesus. And this is what Jim was committed to. He wrote this whole letter that has been so impacting to me and hopefully to you and to all of us at Northridge and those who have listened around the world. He wrote that whole letter to drive people to experience Jesus in greater ways. And then he explains in the last two verses of his letter why he really wrote it, what's really pressing in on him. And this is what he says in James 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers... One of you should wander from the truth. If one of you should wander from Jesus, and someone should bring him back, advance Jesus' truth back into their life, help them to once again align themselves with Jesus and his truth. Remember this. Whoever does that, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way, someone who's failed to follow Jesus to then following Jesus again, saves him from death, from destroying their life, and covers over a multitude of sins. When someone wanders away from the truth, they experience the opposite of what God created them for. But if anyone helps to connect them back to Jesus, to advance the hope of Jesus in their lives, then then he saves them from wasting their life and he covers over a multitude of sins. He changes the world. You see, Jim knew that there was only one hope for the world, Jesus. And he gave his entire life to advance it. And so should we. After all, the only pursuit worth giving our lives to advance in this world is the hope of Jesus. It's the only thing worth giving our lives to because it's eternal. It's what the world needs. Jim makes it very, very clear in the way he wrote his entire letter, this, this truth. That it's not an if people will wander from the truth. It's a fact that people wander from the truth. And it's not others that wander from the truth. It's each of us who've wandered from the truth, which explains the problem. In fact, this is the truth. Every single one of us has wandered from the truth. I mean, Jim makes it clear in his whole presentation, his whole letter. Isaiah 53, 6 says it. It's an Old Testament passage. It says, we all, not some, not just the Baptists or the Catholics or the atheists, we all, even you Methodists and Presbyterians, 
we all, even the ones of you looking down the road pointing at someone else, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He says, everyone has wandered from the truth. And this was when he started proclaiming the truth that God would send a Messiah that he would put sin on so that in dying, they would free us to be forgiven. But all of us have wandered from the truth. This explains what's wrong with our world. This explains what's wrong with our politics and our education and our business and our families and our communities. This explains what's wrong with us. People have wandered from the truth. And they're trying to find hope in made-up truths. It, it just leads to a world of chaos where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're following their own truth. And can I just tell you, it doesn't work. It can't work. And so the application to this fact that everyone has wandered from the truth is simple. And this is what Jim wrote about in his book. In order to experience life as God designed it, everyone needs to experience the hope of Jesus. We need to stop wandering away from the truth in Jesus. And we need to start walking with Jesus in his truth. Everyone needs to experience the hope of Jesus. This is what you need, your family needs, education needs, business needs, politics needs, the world needs. Because when people experience the hope of Jesus, it changes everything. Look at how Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says it and verse 13. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. You've got to remember before you knew Jesus, before you experienced the force of his hope in your life, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, you were without hope and without God in the world. And that's where our world is today. But then he says, but then everything changed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, defined by guilt and shame and failure, you who were once far away, broken and disillusioned and lost, you who were once far away have been brought near. You now walk with God again through the blood of Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection was for our sin and to give us new life. And if we can find that hope, it will change our lives. We need to advance the hope of Jesus. It's the only hope for this world. It's the only hope. Okay, now, I think most people, I know a lot of people come to Northridge who haven't yet found the hope. We're thrilled you're here, and we, we have an agenda for you. We want you to find his hope, not so we can get something from you, but so you can experience from God all that you were designed to experience. But, but it's pretty easy to say, wow, we just need to advance the hope of Jesus. We just need to advance the hope of Jesus. And a lot of times, guys like me or gals like me who stand and teach would go, so that's, that's what you got to do. You've got to advance the hope of Jesus. Now, doggone it, get up off your butts, get out of here and go do it. The only problem is, it's so easy to say and so difficult to do. Have you found that? There's a reason it's not happening a lot. And it's because... It's not easy. In fact, this is my second thought. It is true that the only way this world change, the only, oh, changes is, is by advancing the hope of Jesus. But, but advancing the hope of Jesus, while essential, is not easy. It's not easy. In fact, Jesus made it clear it wasn't easy. He was advancing his truth in the world, and it put him on a cross. The world rejected him. 
Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist, anyone remember what happened to John the Baptist? Guys, I mean, he, he was advancing truth, and well, he got his head cut off. Minor glitch. I mean, it was rough. From the days of John the Baptist, Jesus says, you know, who lost his head for advancing hope, for advancing truth, until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing it. It doesn't timidly advance. It forcefully advances. And he says, and, and it's only advanced because forceful men are those who lay hold of it. You see, advancing the hope of Jesus is essential. It's what every single person in the world needs, but it's not easy. And over time, I, I've seen a distressing phenomenon. The world has started selling its false hope and its upside-down values with amazing force. The world has gotten more and more and more forceful in cramming its immoral, even perverse view of truth down the throats of the world and down the throats of everyone. But at the same time, the church has become more and more timid about proclaiming and standing on Jesus' hope and values. This isn't how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the opposite. The people who stand on the hope of Jesus have something eternal to stand on and should do it with confidence. And the people making up wishful thinking, stuff that's not true that they want to do and believe, are the ones that should do it in the back room somewhere. But no, it's changed. The church is hiding in its holy huddle and the world is out pressing its immorality with force. And it's not how it's supposed to be. Look at... Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner. Even if it gets you thrown in prison, don't be ashamed of it because the hope of Jesus is the only thing that can change the world. And that's what he's saying. We don't have to do it with timidity. But... And I really do appreciate support, and I, I appreciate very much the passion that can run within us. But if I'm honest, the world and its constant attacks can make it very difficult to advance the hope of Jesus. I mean, it can wear us down. It, 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 it can wear me down. I mean, I, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a very long time. There's nothing I care about more or believe in more than the hope of Jesus. But I can start getting timid about my faith, especially as the world gets more and more vocally opposed to the faith in Jesus. Does that happen to you? Does it get harder and harder sometimes, the harder the winds are blowing against it? Does it make you kind of want to, ooh, maybe better worship in private and... Be a Jesus follower in private, but boy, I don't want to tell anybody because they'll go down, just, they'll go after me. Well, if we're going to advance the hope of Jesus, if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, then I've realized that there's only one way that we can remain confident and courageous, that, that we can ultimately become, no matter what our personality is, a, a force for his hope in this world. And it's, it's, by, it's by keeping 
and having and committing to the right values. It's the only way. And I've really monitored my life. I've done a lot of things about what am I going to do with this wild and precious life I've been given? What am I going to do with this wild and precious opportunity we've been given as a church family? And why is it that, that we're not advancing the hope like we should? Why is it that we're not moving it like we should and experiencing it like we should? And every time we have a season of timidity where, where the world seems to be pressing with force its immorality more than we're pressing Jesus' hope forward, I've realized it's because we're not committed to or holding the right values. And, and this is the big deal. The right values drive us. They keep us motivated. They give us courage and confidence. If we don't have them, we'll wear down. We'll run out of gas. We'll lose our passion and confidence. And that's exactly what happens to me. So this weekend, as a means of encouraging you as we move into the summer and towards this coming year, I want to share some values that I believe are essential for us if we're going to continue experiencing the hope of Jesus and keep advancing it. And, and the first value is focus. Focus. It's all about our focus, but let me let the Bible explain it, and then we'll talk about it for a second. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, let us fix our eyes on let us fix our focus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, he fixed his eyes on that which was eternal. And because he was focused on God and what was eternal and the hope that he was offering the world, he even endured the cross. Whatever suffering came, he endured. He, in fact, he, he scorned its shame. He, he winked at it as nothing, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to focus on him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that he died on a cross. And here's why we need to focus on him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I grow weary and lose heart when I listen to the droning on about politics and when I listen to the crap that's going on in our educational world, when I see the junk going on in this world, I get so weary and so tired of fighting. But when I look at Jesus hanging on the cross to bring hope to the world, it renews my energy. We need to focus on him. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm everything this world needs. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you realize when we focus on Jesus, when he's our focus, it drives us to God's way because Jesus is the way. Do you realize when we focus on Jesus, it drives us to God's truth, not to the truth we're making up, not to our own truth, not to this false wishful thinking that we want to set up as our morality, but I mean when we focus on Jesus, it drives us to God's truth, which sets us free. Do you know when we focus on Jesus, it drives us to life, the life we're longing for, the life we're looking for, the fullness we know that God created us for because Jesus is that life. But when we stop focusing on Jesus, we no longer focus on God's way or his truth or experience his life. We need to set our focus on Jesus, and it will change everything. It will advance his hope for us and for the world. Realize, if we don't keep our focus on Jesus, then we'll wander away from the truth, like Jim was talking about, and which means we'll be awake to all the wrong things, pursuing all the wrong things, and we'll be waking the world up to all the wrong things. We'll be for all the wrong things and passionate about all the wrong things. But when our focus is on Jesus, we'll be for the right things and passionate about the right thing. 
we need to focus on Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. There's another right value that has to drive us to keep us advancing the hope of Jesus and experiencing it. And it's just a, it's a word that's going to surprise you probably at first, but it's absolutely essential as a value in our life. Offense. Offense. Now, it almost sounds like I should, you know, be a coach somewhere dealing with that. I should be a, a football coach trying to institute the spread offense that, that they should hire me for the Lions so we could play offense and actually win a game or two this year or something like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. This is, this is a very spiritual value, this thing about offense. And because we're not committed to this value, the world is winning and Jesus is losing in many of our lives. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. On, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus took his disciples from the little village that they had hidden their whole lives in, staying away from the world. He took them 27 miles to a place, to a rock in Caesarea Philippi that was called the gates of hell because the water came up from the underneath, the abyss where the gods were supposedly from, where fertility would come from. And on this rock had been built temples to all the false gods of their world. Zeus and Caesar and Pan and... On this rock, they worshipped in sexual orgies in order to get the gods to release fertility into their world. And Jesus took these little isolated religious guys to that rock. And he said, on this rock, I will build my church. On the heads of these false gods, I will build the one true church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know what Jesus was saying? We're not going to play defense and try and protect ourselves from the world and hide in our little holy huddles and our little villages from the world. We are going to go to where the gods right now are winning and we are going to knock them to the hell they belong in and we're going to build the church. That's what we're going to do. We're going to play offense. But that's not what's going on in Christians' lives and churches these days. Think about it. Defense tries to protect what is. Offense seeks to create something new, to take new ground. As Jesus' followers, we're supposed to be on offense, taking new ground, not defense, trying to protect what is. We're supposed to be advancing, not retreating. And this isn't just an organizational reality. It's personal. We've all, each and every one of us, experienced and lost our own personal battles with hell in our lives. We've lost battles with hell personally and relationally and spiritually. We know what it's like to lose ground, to experience loss and disappointment and failure and betrayal and brokenness. But because of the hope of Jesus, now listen, this is so important. Because of the hope of Jesus, hell doesn't have to get the last laugh. These experiences don't have to be final. But the gates of hell don't fall down until the people of God... Let him build his church through them on their rocks. And it's time we go forward instead of retreating. We're not going to lock our doors and try and keep the world out. We're going to knock our doors out, and we're going to go change the world in Jesus' name because that's what the world needs, hope, hope to advance. It needs to be on offense. The value of offense drives 
growth, the value of offense drives outreach. We go to the disillusioned and lost and disenfranchised. It was offense that caused Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. And it's offense that causes God's people to leave their holy huddle on the weekend and go into the marketplace and into the world with Jesus and his hope. And by the way, it's offense that causes us not to live for our comfort today, but to make all the sacrifices necessary to Take the hope of Jesus to the next generation because it's the next generation that's going to change this world too. And we need to be on offense. That's what we're going to play. So the right focus, Jesus. The right mindset, offense. Not trying to protect but move forward. And then, and then there's this other value that's essential if we're going to keep experiencing the force of God's hope and advancing in it. It's, it, it might also seem like a weird word to you at first, but... It's the value of relevance. And it's what drove the early church to change the world. See, the religious leaders of the day were irrelevant to the rest of the world, didn't care about the rest of the world. And then Jesus came and taught his people to care about the rest of the world and to go to the rest of the world. And, and you know how they changed the world is they took God's truth and made it relevant to the languages of the people of that day. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.22. I've become all things, Paul says, to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I have to relate to the languages and the culture and the mindsets of the people who are so that I can communicate the truth of Jesus that can change their world. The world needs Jesus' hope, but they have to understand it before they can un embrace it. Relevance drives creativity. Did you know that? To be relevant, you... You have to be creative, how to connect God's truth to the people who don't want it. And relevance creates constant assessment where we're always having to assess whether or not God's truth is communicating. I, you know, there are churches all over the world that are still communicating to people who haven't lived for 300 years. Well, that's crazy. We need to assess is how we're delivering God's truth into this world, connecting to the very people who need it, not the people who lived in the 17th century, but to the people who live in the 21st century, not to grandma and grandpa, but to our little kids and grandkids who need Jesus. We've got to be relevant with Jesus, or they will never know his hope. And that's what has to drive us. And, you know, I've discovered that the best way to know whether as a leader, as a believer, I'm being relevant in delivering God's truth. The best way, and I've been doing this a lot of years, the best way is to just see how many people are complaining. If no one's complaining, I'm not being relevant. I'm giving them what they want. The more people complaining, the better I'm doing. So you who try to change me by writing your complaints, just know this, it's fuel to my engine to make it even worse for you. I mean, serious business. We need to be relevant if we're going to take God's truth. And it needs to be a value that drives us. I'm going to tell you the people pressing for immorality are as relevant as they can be. Jesus deserves us to take him into the world with relevance. That's where we need to be. So we've got to have the right focus, the right mindset, offense, the right habit or method, relevance. Okay, that's good. But there's, there's this other value that's right if we're going to keep going forward. Compassion has to drive us. Because without compassion, Jesus wouldn't have left heaven and come to earth. Without compassion, Jesus wouldn't have stayed on the cross and died. He would have gotten off and 
bolted each and every one of our heads with a bolt of lightning, but, but because of compassion, he cared about us. Look at Matthew 9, 36 and 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Everyone has wandered from truth, but the workers to rescue them are few. The need for hope is universal, but there are so few delivering it and advancing it. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you know what has to happen before anyone would be willing to advance hope into the marketplace, into their neighborhoods, into their families, into the world? You know, you know what would have to happen? They would have to be filled with compassion. Do you know what happens when we experience Jesus' hope in us? He puts his compassion in us. John 13, 35 says, it's the test point. By this, all men will know that you're my followers if you love one another. Compassion drives outreach where we'll go out and try and help the hurting and the broken and the poor and the orphans and the widows, both near and far. Compassion drives generosity. When we're not generous, generous it's because we don't have compassion. Compassion drives serving. And compassion drives churches not to close their doors to outsiders, but to open their doors wide to outsiders because God so loved the world. If we're going to advance the hope of Jesus and experience it, we need to keep and be committed to the value of compassion. But there's one more. And this too will seem odd, spelled out in one word, but it's an absolutely necessary value. Excellence. I am so sick and tired of Christians giving their leftovers to God when he deserves their best. I am so sick and tired of the church of Jesus Christ giving mediocre worship instead of giving passionate, fervent, fervent worship to God. It's time we give him everything we are with excellence instead of the leftovers. When we start giving him excellence and everything else the leftovers, the world will start changing. Excellence has to be our value. Look at the Bible. This isn't me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it with excellence. Why? Because excellence honors God and inspires people. And you know, there are a lot of believers who aren't honoring God or inspiring anybody. There are a lot of churches that aren't honoring God or inspiring anyone, and I've been in that season of my life a lot as well, but the minute you start doing it, focused on Jesus with a mindset for offense to charge the gates of hell with a commitment to relevance, driven by compassion, giving everything you are to do your best, you honor God, you inspire people, and you know what happens? Lives start changing, and leaders start changing, and churches start changing, and the world starts changing, and it's exactly what what we long for. But in the end, we have to admit, it's essential for the hope of Jesus to advance, but it's not easy. You know, for anything to advance, it takes some force. And I look within me, and I very often don't feel like I'm the force. I know you look at yourselves, you hear that word force, and go, I'm timid, I'm introverted, I'm this, I'm that. But you know, it's not we individuals who are the force. It's Jesus who's the force. And 
It's just us letting him live in us. It's not this church that is the force. It's, it's just all of us collectively letting Jesus use us and so we become a force for Jesus in this world. In fact, when we have the right values, when our focus is right and our mindset is right and our commitment to relevance is right and we're driven by compassion and excellence, what happens is those values and the commitment to them create the force within us, within the world, that advances the hope that can change everything. We need to remember that these values have no power at Northridge unless these values drive each and every one of us. Did you know this church isn't an organization? It's a community of people. Did you know it's not enough for me to have these values because I'm one in thousands, but if all of us have these values, it becomes a force that changes this world. I can't change lives, leaders, the church, or the world. You can't change lives, leaders, the church, or the world. But Jesus in us can change the world. It's time we let him be the force that advances hope into this world. It's what we long for. It's what we're looking for. Now, there's the talk. There's kind of the end of this letter that Jim wrote us. But I have one action step for you before I release you outward. Just one action step. But it's a serious one, and it's a very personal one. I want to encourage you to evaluate yourself. I mean, it's okay for you to evaluate me. I get it. You know, you'll go out to lunch and you'll go, that was a three, that was a one. What, what, how much coffee did he have today? You have crap like that. I get it. It's okay. That's great. But you know, you evaluating me changes nothing. You can evaluate everybody in your family. You can evaluate other people. You can evaluate the church you came from. But you know, that doesn't change anything. You know what changes the world? When we start evaluating ourselves. Evaluate yourself. Look at how the Bible says it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Do you know how scary that is? Most people around here go, yeah, Jesus is in me. Woo-hoo, Jesus is in me. Unless he's not. Really? I mean, do you, are you experiencing the force of Jesus' hope in you? Or could it be that when you really take the test, your focus isn't on Jesus at all, that, that your mindset isn't offense, offense at all? You're trying to protect what is. And, and it, you're not trying to be relevant to anyone. You're wanting everything to be about you. And, and you're not driven by compassion for others. You're driven by your own security and your own safety. Could it be that? It, you're not giving your best to God. You're giving your best to your own issues and your own set of wants and dreams. And, and if you fail the test, that means Jesus isn't in you alive. No wonder you're not experiencing the hope. So you need to start with evaluating yourself. I need to start by evaluating myself. And the first question I want you to ask yourself is simply this. Are you experiencing the force of Jesus' hope in your life? Or are you always saying, where's God? How come he's not showing up? How come his promises aren't true in my life? How come he promised peace, but I only have discontentment? And he promised joy, but I only have despair. And he promised this. And <laughs> Ad nauseum. 
Are you experiencing the force of Jesus' hope in your life? Because if Jesus is unleashed in your life, you're going to be experiencing his hope. If you're not, it's because you've shut him out some way. And you need to take the test. I just really want to encourage you, if you're a believer, fix your focus back on Jesus. Get these values in your life because then you'll unleash his hope in your life. And if you're here right now, maybe you're at Brighton or Grosseal or Celine, you're one of our regional campuses or somewhere around the world watching this and you don't know Jesus personally, you've never experienced the force of his hope, this is your moment. In fact, right now, I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to pray if you would just, before I finish out this talk, if you would just bow with me in a moment of prayer and if you're ready to take the step into the hope of Jesus, just, I invite you to take my words in this prayer but make them your words to God and just say, Jesus, I, I need your hope. I need your help. I have sinned and wandered from your truth and done my own thing and I just need you. You died on the cross to forgive me and you rose again to give me new life and by faith I'm opening myself to your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me quickly, I, we've put together a letter, a real simple thing that can help you think about next steps in your relationship with God. But to get you the letter, we have to know you prayed with me. And so we make it easy. In these programs we hand you that have Jim on it for the very last time is a connection card. And you just fill it out so we can get you that letter. And on the bottom, just check the relevant statement. Maybe this is your first time trusting Jesus. And, and just check that box or... Maybe you're just renewing your faith this time. Check that one. And then as you leave, all of our environments, there are boxes at every exit door. Just throw it in there and we'll send you this letter. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button on your computer, your tablet, or your phone. And, and we'll do the same thing for you and send you that letter. But here, here's one neat thing that can happen today. Did you know today is our annual outdoor baptism? Did you know that? Today's baptism. It's, it's an exciting thing. We've got people from all of our campuses gathering right here. You know, it's fun. I've met some people from Gross Eel who are up here to get baptized. It's really an exciting deal. And, and, uh, but, you know, there are a bunch of people here that you might have just prayed to trust Jesus. The next step is baptism. You could get baptized today. Or you've already been a follower, but you've never been baptized. This could be your day, and there's room for you. And uh, it's an exciting thing. And so our team is going to be gathered around the pond about 1.15. And just really want to encourage you. If you want to get baptized, you didn't sign up, Brian, that's okay. Go over there. They can, they can talk you through it. They can tell you what to do. And we'd love to have you baptized. Same with regional campuses. You at Brighton and all that. But we do have a, a word of caution. Um, you know, I wish that I was so powerful in my relationship with Jesus that I could change weather. That would be awesome. Uh, if I could do that, this would be the new Hawaii. Uh, I don't have that kind of power. And the storm's coming in, they say. And you know, God can do anything with a storm. He can stop the storm. He can do anything. But I've been watching the weather apps, and it doesn't look like it's in his will to want to stop this storm for some reason. I don't get it. Um, and it's supposed to hit around, you know, like uh, 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock. So here's what we're doing. We're going to try and forge forward with this thing because if half of us die with lightning, who cares really because we know Jesus, and uh, that's not right. That's not right. I'm lying. Um, we're not going to do it if thunder's coming down. We're not willing to lose more than two or three of you, so we'll get you, we'll get you out of there. But, but 
it looks like it might be pushing the storm to about 2.45, Maybe things change. We're going to move our baptism up from what was going to be a 2 o'clock start time to a 1.45 uh, start time. We hope everybody would be here by then. Um, and then we'll start. We're, gonna, we're just going to throw you in. We're not going to baptize. We're just going to throw you in. <laughs> Get it done. We're not going to do that either. We'll go through the process. But if something happens and the storm really cuts through and it's dangerous, we have to move people out. What we're going to do is we're going to set a date in the future for this because this outdoor baptism is too special for us not to experience in this kind of way. All right. And uh, and um, our apologies for the weather, though we don't make it. All right. But anyway, I hope you'll sign up that you'll be a part of that baptism. And if you're part of Northridge, you'll be here for that as well. There's this last question. By the way, I'm having so much fun that I just want to keep talking. I don't know what this is about, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Y- you know you're not going to go to heaven just because you did that, right? Okay, I just, just uh, but I, it did make me feel good. Thank you. Uh, all right, we need to evaluate ourselves. Here's the next question. Are, are you a force for advancing the hope of Jesus? Once you've experienced the hope of Jesus, the force of Jesus' hope in you, are you a force for advancing the hope of Jesus? Here's the best way I can say it is, would people whom you have influence with and relationships with, would they say that, that their lives are being impacted because of the hope they're experiencing through you? Because, you see, the only way that lives are going to change and leaders are going to change and churches are going to change and the world's going to change is if Jesus is at work through us in our worlds. Are you a force for advancing the hope of Jesus? And I, I, a lot of people go, but I'm a shy person. I'm not like you. I can't stand on platforms. I'm introverted and I'm introspective and I'm that. It's, it's not about your personality. It's about Focusing on Jesus, having a mindset that he wants to do something through you, being committed to whatever it takes to communicate in that truth in relevant ways given who you are, being driven by a compassion that won't let you stop and doing it to the best of your ability. And those values combined let Jesus create a force in you that people find unmistakable. Are you a force? Jesus is the hope of the world, friends. If we're going to experience life as God designed it, then we need to experience the force of Jesus' hope in our lives, and then we need to advance that hope. And if we do, I can promise you something. This will not just be a place that God has once used in the past. This will be a place that God is now using to change lives, to change leaders, to change churches, and to change the world. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want us to be because we've been given one wild and crazy precious opportunity and this is it. Let's seize it for Jesus' name and for the hope of the world. Are you with me? Let's do it, all right? Cool. All right, just before I send you out, I I just want to tell you there's a special thing coming on August 11th and 12th. We host at Northridge a thing called the the Leadership Summit. And this can be a life-changing experience for every one of you, whatever your role in the world. And because we host it, it's an expensive deal that you can experience for $89. And all you have to do is go to northridgechurch.com slash summit. Our code is PREMIER16, and you can get your $89 deal. And I'm telling you, if you'll come to this, your life will change. 
And uh, I'm so excited about this year's summit. I hope you'll come. Also, God's on the grow here at Northridge Church, and it's happening all through all of our services. But on Saturday night, I don't know if you know this, but our number one growing service is Saturday night at 516. It's crazy. I'm really proud of that. And so here's what's happening. Starting this fall, the weekend after Labor Day, will be the hard launch for a second service on Saturday night here in Plymouth. So a second service is starting. They're going to be at 4.16 p.m. and 6.16 p.m. So we're going to split the difference between the 5.16, and I hope you'll be praying for us. I hope if you're a volunteer, you'd want to maybe commit to that. Really, really excited about that. It'll start for sure the, sec- the week after Labor Day. It may be a soft launch a little bit earlier. Finally, Brighton's also growing. And Brighton, we're so proud of you up there. And so we're moving towards a second service on Sunday at 9.16 in the fall in Brighton. So that's going to be a lot of fun up there as well. And this weekend is the last weekend of gym, but next weekend, don't miss it. It's the opening of Unforgettable, and our summers at Northridge are unforgettable. If you want to know more about it, you can get the brochure on the walls or go online. It's going to be a great summer. Thanks, everybody. See you at 145 at the pond.